This podcast includes reference to abuse, physical and sexual violence, which some listeners may find distressing. Hi, I'm Molly Catchell and welcome to the Gives a Smile podcast, the podcast where we will be exploring issues of sexual violence, harassment and assault with a focus on university students. There from the campaign All About Respect at York St. John University, this podcast will cover topics which some may find challenging, so this podcast might not be for you. But for those still listening, I welcome you on a journey of discovering truths. Through open and honest conversation, I aim to educate and inform people about the importance of respect and healthy relationships while tackling those challenging questions. This week, I'm joined by Sarah Thompson, an All About Respect advisor, and Johnny Dudley, a graduate teaching assistant in psychology and PhD student at York St. John University. In this week's episode, we'll be exploring toxic relationships and looking into examples of domestic abuse and the impact it has upon an individual. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the open and honest conversation. What do we then define as a toxic relationship? When I think about toxic relationships, and I think that term sort of gets interlinked with domestic abuse a lot, whereas my understanding of toxic relationships, it's something completely separate. So whereas domestic abuse is based on power and control, toxic relationship is about that imbalance and it's about that that reaction. But it's a cycle of reactions, but it's that sort of extreme reactions to, I don't know, the pot's not being done who's doing the washing and it's a continuous thing for me a toxic relationship is about imbalance in a relationship obviously a large part of my research and stuff revolves around bystander intervention you know consent and stuff comes into quite a lot i think when people hear consent kind of immediately think sex but i think it's into all aspects of a relationship and it's the idea of involving the other person to the extent they want to be involved and and Mm -hmm. making sure they're comfortable with everything that's going on not just obviously um, in a sexual capacity when we're talking about consent then sort of coincides with this idea of like emotional abuse yeah definitely I think you know Sarah said it earlier when you're talking about domestic violence when you think about that people often think physical and I think the emotional aspect is something that really gets overlooked into how dangerous that can be and obviously when we speak a lot about toxic relationships there's this notion and idea of the terminology of gaslighting could you tell me a little bit more what it's meant by gaslighting and what exactly that is and any examples of that? In my previous roles, I set up a domestic abuse perpetrator programme in Doncaster and I work with quite a lot of guys who emotionally, physically, sexually abuse their partners. And gaslighting, for me, it's that psychological manipulation of an individual. And one of the things that always stick with me was an individual that I worked with and he would ask his partner for a cup of tea. She would go and make him a cup of tea, bring it him. She'd then go do something. He would then get up, empty the cup, wash the cup, put the cup away, and then sit back down and shout her and say, where's my cup of tea? And just that sort of, over time, that sort of psychological impact that made her feel like there was something actually wrong with her. Because in her head, she was like, I've done that. And he was telling her that she hadn't done that. That repeated sort of psychological manipulation and making her believe that she'd not done something that she'd done is the biggest one that stands out for me from the guys that I work with. It's almost that idea that, oh, you're going crazy. It's all in your yes. head. Yeah, absolutely. And well, you're calling me a liar because I'd know if you'd brought me a cup of tea. That sort of repeated behaviour has a massive impact on individuals. I think it's something that you sort of mentioned earlier, that it's something that's quite a common phrase right now that you were touching upon there, Sarah, that it's that persistent, like almost berating somebody into questioning their own opinions and their own understanding of the world, even though they might be right and you could be wrong, but you just kind of belittle them and, and berate them into being convinced that 
that you're right and, and they don't know what they're talking about. And how does this then have an effect upon victims in relationships? Completely sort of shatters individuals' self-esteem, makes them question everything, wonder if, like you said, they are going crazy. Some forms of gaslighting, it may be that it cuts them off completely from their friends, then they're completely isolated from friends and family. Definitely leads into a lot of self-harm, self-injury, uh, where individuals just not recognising reality, really, becoming quite paranoid and questioning everything. And then that what that then does is it puts a heavy sort of reliance on the perpetrator, who they believe is the know-all, become quite dependent on that individual because they must know because they're telling them all oh, this is wrong so surely they have the answer so it forms a really unhealthy dependency on the perpetrator it is quite scary in that regard you know you question your own sanity and your own understanding of the world and, and you can be convinced something is right but that you're talking about that can be done in a relationship with just one person but i think especially when there's you know that person's friends or there's somebody else yeah. involved that kind of backs them up it's not related to specifically to toxic relationships but there's a famous psychological study called ashes line study and it's all about conformity and this idea that and it sort of applies to this sense in that they had a group of people that the last person in the group was a participant and they thought everybody else before them was a participant but they weren't they were actors who were playing up for the study and they had two lines on a piece of paper and one line b was noticeably longer than line a they basically asked them which line's longer and everybody went around and said line a is longer and the person at the end who was the actual participant sort of like well no i can see with my own eyes that line b is longer yeah. But because everybody else is telling me that I'm wrong and I don't want to look like an idiot and I must be wrong because mm -hmm. they're all saying it. 90% of the time they went for line A, even though they knew it was shorter and it wasn't right. They just conformed to the group. And I think that kind of plays into gaslighting a little bit where you're almost convinced that what you know is right is wrong. And I think leading on from that as well, thinking around me as an individual and my beliefs, my understanding of things that I enjoy doing, you know, you lose all that when you're a victim of gaslighting. So you've got no sort of hobbies. That self-care gets lost. Who you vote for, what you're reading, what you're watching. It's like everything is... It's that following, isn't it? You lose who you are as a person. So if you were to sit and think about yourself and what do I enjoy doing? What am I interested in? It's as if all that is stripped back, the interest is not there because of the impact of that. I think the example you gave of the cup of tea stuff was, you know, something as just almost silly as that. As like, I know I've yeah. made this cup of tea. I've done it. I, I did it. You can convince somebody that they didn't do something they've literally yeah. just done. I think it kind of, in every other aspect of their life, you start to kind of doubt everything because yeah. if i can't get that right and i can't remember that correctly how am i supposed to remember the more complex stuff is a scary prospect and what is a scary prospect is the fact that that individual went to the absolute length of getting up washing the cup putting it yeah. away the process in their head of that of i'm going to go and do this and the effort of doing that that's terrifying that someone would do and i know that people go to it more extreme lengths than that but even at that level that is scary out of the way to, to do that. Yeah. That manipulation, that like calculation in their head of thinking that through almost, it's yeah. that particular story isn't really shocking. And obviously, when we speak about toxic relationships and people experiencing either like gaslighting or domestic abuse, I always hear this question that people always seem to ask like, why don't you leave them? Why don't you walk away? How damaging is that sort of question to ask people that are victims of that? I think Sarah touched upon it that dependency. You might realize as an outside person, you're thinking in a clearer headspace and you're thinking it makes sense, just leave him or her. Yeah. But if you're in that position where you feel like you're totally dependent upon somebody and you've been convinced in your own mind that can't survive without this person because I can't even do something like make a cup of tea or whatever, 
how would I cope on my own? And I think that really plays into it in terms of how damaging that can be. Think about the complexities of relationships. So these are potentially individuals who have been in this relationship, not just for six months or a year. One of my guys that I work with, 25 years of being with his partner, he'd pushed her down the stairs, he'd shoved her into the bathtub when she was pregnant. They were still together, but she didn't want to leave him. It took me about a year to get her to go into some services for some support. The complexities of that is the financial stuff. He brought all the money in. She had the freedom to go away with her friends when she wanted to and it was just something that she'd sort of taken as part and parcel of of life the thing for me is as well is again everyone thinks of the physical stuff but think around how stressful it is when you're moving house whether you're buying a house or you're letting a house you know are you used to a house and then you think i'm gonna have to go into a refuge and that's going to be a bed sit you've got to take the kids out of school you know you're not sure how finances work because you've never dealt with finances that's always been the other person's role they've always done that you don't know how much things cost you don't know your rights you don't know what's available for you, you don't know about services you want to get so much internet access and that's all checked so how can you try and find something online for help if your internet history is checked the complexity of it is massive and it is is really damaging and you hear one of the biggest things particularly friends and family who aren't aware of that complexity and they'll say to somebody why don't you just leave it's not as easy as that at all i think that's one of those things where you're looking at it from a, a third person perspective you're looking at it from as an outsider it, it's a very very different viewpoint to somebody who's in that relationship and in that experience yeah one of the guys that I work with, he had ironed his partner's stomach and he'd burnt her all over her stomach with an iron so that she would be sexually unattractive to another man. Obviously, she was full of scars all over her stomach and her thighs were another area that he did. On top of that, there were self-harm marks that she'd done to herself as well because of the situation that she was in. So she felt extremely unattractive and thought that she would be unloved by anybody else. She stopped in that bubble. I mean, that's a very extreme example of one of the stuff, but Again, the self-esteem, no one else is going to love me. I'm lucky to have this person in my life. That attractiveness stuff can not only be physical, but psychological. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be the scars. If you're sort of berated and told that you're unattractive and nobody could love you and I'm the only one that loves you, and that kind of goes on. That plays an impact as well on the way you see yourself. And no one would love an idiot like you. You used to go jobby with me, you wouldn't know how to cope in life. The list is endless. And do you think as well it's sort of it's that sense of fear almost? Because I was doing some research and I found how it was 55% of women, this is in 2017, were killed within the first month of separating from a partner after experiencing this level of abuse. Even 87% in the first year. So do you think that sort of coincides with that sense of, well, if I do leave them, it's almost a fear of my life almost. Like, I don't know what could happen, even though I could walk away from this. They could still get to me. They could still cause harm to my life. Absolutely. And if you think about domestic abuse and what domestic abuse is, it's ultimately about power and control. So you have an individual who is used to that control and then something is taken out of their hands and that individual leaves. It's a very, very risky time for an individual to leave. And that fear holds them there. Obviously, things are put in place to ensure safety of individuals, but unfortunately... From them stats that you've just said that's not always the case and perpetrators will go to some great lengths one of my guys once found his partner's new address through her ebay account making sure that you're putting things in place is so important for your safety and obviously as organizations frontline are aware of this they'll do everything they can to support you but that fear definitely because it is a very risky time because that individual will then go to great lengths i once worked with a guy who i live in rotherham and we've got clifton park near where where i live so i always take the dog for a little walk and we'd been to the pub and we're walking the dog back through the park and there was a one of my guys walking towards me and now I worked in Doncaster bear in mind so I'm thinking what is he doing in Rotherham 
in like my land, my turf, don't like this. And <laughs> um, we walked towards me and I was like, well, I'm not going to say anything. If he wants to say anything, he can. And basically he'd found out that his partner was last known to be in Rotherham and he was walking around Rotherham to look for her and his daughter. And as I'm stood there on a Sunday afternoon, I'm thinking, why are you telling me this? I'm the last person you would tell that to. It was yeah. obviously a concern because I knew where she would be and I knew where she was. So that was obviously going to flag it. And then he actually told me that he'd gone looking for her. Great lens to go to. That fear yeah. definitely holds people there. Talk about control as well. That's a really interesting aspect of it. Of you know, if you've controlled somebody for so long, and now all of a sudden they've kind of kicked back and said no, and done the ultimate thing they can do and just get away from you. Mm-hmm. That's sort of been kind of stats and or why people are, are willing to carry out such things like murder and just you know, if I can't control you, nobody can type thing. And yeah, and that's really sort of terrifying. And I think that's kind of a good example of that Rotherham story of the extent they're willing to go just to wander around an entire city just to look for them, just because they want that control back. In society, when we think about domestic abuse or toxic relationships, we sort of have that myth almost that it's only just physical. But obviously, this goes much deeper into, as we touched upon, about being around control and power. How do you then think that having these sort of myths circulating impact people who are in these relationships? Do you think it almost then prevents them from speaking out because they think, oh, that doesn't apply to me, it's not physical, that sort of notion? Yeah, definitely. I think though, sort of said at the beginning, that notion of domestic violence or intimate partner violence, when people hear that, I think they immediately think, oh, you know, where are the bruises? You know, where are the scars kind of thing? And there's an exhaustive list of things that can be controlling behavior and can be intimate partner violence. And I think that is to just look at it from a perspective of purely physical, I think is really damaging to anybody that's going through any of the other sort of emotional damage, the psychological damage that you can you can experience. Particularly when you think about the way the media reports stuff, it's not that bad for me. And them sort of thoughts are they've had it worse than what I have. It's not that bad. It's only once a month. It's only when they go and drink out with the mates. That sort of self-justification is very damaging because obviously constantly comparing themselves. Mine's not that bad. It was only this. It was just that. And then like you say, with the emotional stuff, because of the position that they've potentially been put in because they've been made to believe that they haven't got any beliefs or thoughts or you know that they're going crazy if you like they're not even going to question that i think that leads to the gaslighting stuff as well with the media thing reduce self-esteem and reduce Mm -hmm. self-worth when you think oh well I only maybe get abused or whatever or in whatever way once a month or like you say well, only when he's been out drinking or whatever or she's been out drinking and I think that sort of helps the idea of that reduced self-worth makes you feel like that's acceptable when that happening ever is not acceptable but feel like it is because you see something that oh well that's worse and at least I'm not getting that. So them excuses that are then made by individuals are well maybe if I'd have not put I don't know, sage in the gravy maybe if I'd have cleaned the cooker better maybe if I'd have tidied up more it's my fault and a lot of self-blame that goes on there as well awful to say but almost like intelligent moves by a perpetrator where they're they're able to kind of sow them seeds of it's your fault i don't want to do this i have to do it to show you that you're doing something wrong you say then are common signs then to recognize that you're either experiencing gaslighting or you're experiencing some form of toxicity in a relationship I think the first thing for me in terms of if you're experiencing a toxic relationship is if you can't have a conversation, every conversation turns into an argument. That's not healthy. There needs to be healthy debate and conversations in relationships. But if every conversation ends where someone's been shouted at or both people are screaming at each other, that's a very unhealthy situation to be in. Particularly around the toxic one for me, that's one of the biggest ones to be be aware of. 
you know, everybody has arguments. There's no way around that. We all have days, but then that's normally followed by a, a heartfelt apology. Yeah. Talk still of that, but if every conversation about the littlest things becomes a massive argument, that's toxic. And I think if you have to almost ask the question, then maybe there's an issue. If you don't sort of hear that idea of is your relationship toxic, and you don't immediately go no, even if there's just a shadow of a doubt that you have to kind of ask the question and wonder that maybe there's something you need to address. And I know obviously the thing we've talked about where people don't necessarily think there's an issue, but I think if you are having any kind of semblance of a doubt and there's something that needs to be addressed, address it. And and it may be that you can address it and that will help solve the problem. I think anytime you have that kind of semblance of a doubt, it's, it's, it's something that needs to be addressed. I think if you're thinking in terms of abusive relationships, thinking about domestic violence or domestic abuse, there's obviously the first thing that people go to in recognising it is the physical stuff, but then there's the isolation are you isolated? Do you see friends and family? Why don't you see friends and family? Is that your choice? Is that somebody else's choice? When you're starting to question everything, so you're questioning things around you. Are you in control of your own money? Why aren't you in control of your own money? If you have capacity, you should be in control of your own money. Do you get a spend every week? Do you pay out for the bills? Is your name on anything? Is there a reason for that? Is that something you're comfortable with? So really starting to think about them things in your life most of us take for granted the freedom almost i guess that yeah sort of how much control do you have is it split evenly is it really skewed one way and it's a good point terrified me and what i've seen quite a lot of is joint facebook accounts like yeah. that blows my mind no have your own facebook account why have you got a joint facebook account it's got both individuals names on and i know some people do it the odd few, maybe because the partner doesn't wants to be on, but doesn't know how to do it. But that checking the social media, the maps that you can get on your phone where you can check where somebody is, that's terrifying. If that's happening to you, then they really question that relationship. Be able to have trust. Their phone's there. Do you want to check something? Do you want to, do you trust them enough to be like, no, they're my partner and I know that I can leave them to their own devices or whatever and they're not going to do something I'm uncomfortable with. And I think as well, that sort of, recognizing your current situation are you living in fear are you worried that if your partner comes home from work are you sort of thinking oh you know they're coming home from work i hope it's been a good day because if it's not been a good day then they're going to be in a bad mood what does that mean and that sort of fear that i thought i walking on eggshells that is not a nice place for your body to sit on a daily basis because you're constantly in a sort of heightened state of emotion as you're stressed worrying about that which not only does massive damage to your physical health and your mental health as well yeah, like I remember one person telling me about in their relationship, they went to go shopping and she particularly didn't like this style of skirt, never has done. And he picked it up and was like, oh, I want you to try this on. And she was like, oh, that's not really my style. And he went, no, go on, try it on. He made her try it on. And then he went, nope, I like it. And then marched her to the desk and bought it for her. It didn't really sit right with me. It felt like he was dictating what she wore, how she dressed. Just little things like that to me, it felt... It could be so small, but it does, it builds up in the whole aspect of the relationship. Wasn't one of the first convictions for coercive control in Sheffield. She had a routine. She had a strict sort of fitness routine that he planned for her. He chose what she ate. And when she ate, he chose what she wore. That's not right. Like you sounds more like a prison eat. regime than yeah. your everyday life, mm. doesn't it? That's scary. Especially when it sounds such a mundane example, like, oh, I'm buying you a skirt. You can see how you can kind of get that in a way that sounds like he's doing a nice thing. Yeah, how, how they can kind of get that control in and sort of convince you to do stuff that maybe you don't want to do, but they you feel like they're doing a nice thing for you, but they're not. Should I be grateful yeah. because they've bought me that? Yeah. Am I being grateful? What, what's happening? That sort of links back yeah. to the stuff we were talking about earlier when we're in the news and, you know, people are, are murdered by their partners and beaten and you're like, well, he bought me a skirt. Is that really the end of the world? Like, yeah. It feels like a good thing compared to what other people are going through and it sort of links back in that way, I guess. 
how do these victims then access support? Like, what support is there available for people who experience this? Each area will have a support service in place for people to access. In York, we've got IDA so much out there, particularly using social media now in, in raising awareness. They're doing sort of online chats that they can potentially speak to you if needs be when time is right for you. And you can phone them, you know, use the internet to find services online. Within sort of all that respect and at York and John, we've got the report and support website that we have. I know a lot of universities are now rolling out a very similar concept just to provide some kind of support for students. I think one of the things that we do know in terms of services, the majority of individuals who are experiencing this will usually turn to a friend or family member prior to going to any services. Anything where there's an absolute danger at that time, 999 or 101, if you wanted to report something, always vital. They can always contact the police. But the majority of individuals will usually turn to friends or family if they still have contact with them. So I think the biggest thing for me is, is to raise that awareness and how to respond if somebody gives you that information. You would want as somebody who is experiencing this to speak to a friend or family member who you trust and for them to say, why don't you leave them? It's not helpful at that time. What advice would you then give to people to support people who are going through toxic relationships or experiencing domestic abuse? Make them aware that you're available. They're there to have a conversation if needs be. If they're ready for it, give them some resources. Maybe do a little bit of a web search and find some resources. I'll say, I can hold on to these. Let me know if you need these at any point. Don't push them because that's going to push them away from you rather than the individual. Yeah. Taking it at their own pace and acknowledging that they trust you because they've told you and that's a massive thing and holding on to that I think people always think we have to be doing something and be really proactive and I think it's much better in most circumstances to kind of just let them know that you're there and let them know like, yeah. like Sarah was saying there's somebody in their corner they're not on their own with this and like we've spoke about yeah. throughout the, the episode this person wants to isolate them and makes them think like they're on their own and they have nobody else but them and so just by being able to say look you've got me I'm here if you ever need to chat if you ever need whatever I'm there to help you go through whatever you need. And I think that's probably bigger than anything else you can really do, just to kind of, like say, try and break that chain of isolation. And when you think about the statistics in terms of domestic abuse, we all know at least one or two people who are in relationships that are toxic and unhealthy. And I think what's really important as well is just to care for yourself because there's a lot of stress there. So especially if you're going to a family member, so if you go to your mum or your dad, like I could imagine my mum and dad's response if I were to go to them and to tell them that the mum and dad had both had to be restrained so they didn't sort of come charging over. And I, I imagine a lot of people are like that. It's about recognising that that's a difficult bit of information to hold as well and to make sure you're looking after yourself if you do hear that because you know I imagine you hear that you're laid in bed I wonder if everything's okay today they said that their partner were going out tonight this is when they worry a lot make sure you look after yourself as well and obviously when we think about all about respect originally the name was healthy relationship and obviously within aims of all about respect it's to obviously have an honest dialogue with student communities about healthy relationships alongside other, you know, themes and topics. So why is it then important that we not only educate students, but educate people on the importance of healthy relationships and how to recognise when it's not? I think it's vital. And I think for me, at universities, it's too late to have... It's not too late, but it, it should be earlier. Like, understanding a healthy relationship should be something yeah. that's done years ago. That idea around consent, I think as you get to university and you hit in, what, 18, 19, 20, 21, there'd be an understanding around consent as a baseline, but that's not even the case. And we know that's not the case. So important 
important going forward in life because you've either got a perpetrator that's going to continue behaving in a way that they think is all right or they don't think is all right but they don't care and that needs to be held to account and you've got an individual potentially going to move from relationship to relationship thinking that that's the way that relationships always are which makes for an unhealthy life for that person for me it's just so important absolutely need to be having that conversation definitely i think the idea that as well that you know my research like i said before is around bystander intervention to sexual violence and we look predominantly at universities the you know sexual violence rates for the university students especially female university students is like 70 percent of women have experienced some kind of sexual violence and, and whether that be in a relationship or not it's identifying that actually these issues that we know are in the community with domestic violence and relationship issues are happening and perhaps even worse at the university level so that's something that we really need Need to address and ensure that especially with sort of lad culture and university life and all that kind of stuff that we kind of just use as a throwaway excuse for horrendous things that happen at universities and I think we kind of need to let these people know that in any setting that kind of relationship is wrong and shouldn't happen and we need to do something about it. For me as well, when you think about individuals and their experiences when they were growing up, for example, I once delivered a group work session and I got about four or five guys from a similar area in Doncaster who all attended and four of them knew each other. They'd all grown up in the same village in Doncaster and one of them said, oh, didn't think I'd see you. There must be something in the water. And I thought, well, that's an odd statement. But actually, mm. there is something in that when you think in terms of culture and understanding and relationships. Very interesting comment where he said, oh, there must be something in the water. And I thought, no, they're in. We know that. But yeah, not quite. Actually, but you're on but the line, there's yeah. something in there and that understanding of relationships. So where do we form our understandings of relationships? And I think that's one thing we have to think about. So I think about where I found my understanding of what relationship is before going to uni and getting into this area of work. My knowledge is from my parents and the people that they surrounded themselves with and, and family members. And if you are seeing something in the way that you know your mother's treated or your mother treats your father or your father treats your mother, it's a cycle that will continue. So in what ways then could we and how should we educate people? There's all sorts of ways. I think there's lots of unique videos and, and sort of aspects of you know, social media now that are used. You know, the cup of tea video for consent. Yeah. And that is just a really brilliant, brilliant way of showing a difficult concept, trying to use something like that and getting away into trying to show people in the mainstream, like talking about with the media and stuff like that. The news, you know, people will see like the really horrific things. People don't always see the good things on the news. And so trying to get stuff like that, social media is a great way to do it, you know, YouTube and things. And arguably, could you say that if somebody, you know, has not really ever spoken about what a healthy relationship is and then entered into a relationship which actually is toxic, but obviously if they not really have an awareness of what is actually meant to be healthy... Could that almost prevent them from recognizing that they're in a toxic relationship? Yeah, they don't know what normal looks like. They won't know what abnormal looks like. Just going back to the domestic abuse and the toxic relationships, and one of the things that we've not spoke about is, and we've talked about the length that people go to in terms of control, but one of the things that people don't tend to think about is where perpetrators will self-harm, perpetrators will attempt suicide, perpetrators will blame the victim for that. You've made me feel like this. And I think that's really important to think about because people tend to question that's how much they love me. So it can't be abusive. Look how much they care for me. And I think what's really important is not to forget how far an individual might go. I've worked with guys who have attempted suicide because they've been threatened to be left. They're self-harmed. The victim's going, oh, they've got mental health issues. I want to support them. And they're sort of playing on that as if that is a thing that they have, but they don't. And I think that's really important to know as well. Hooking them in almost as if to say like, well, if you leave me, there's going to be a consequence. Like you need to stay with me. 
I'm going to do this if you leave me. And I think that goes on top of the dependence as well. And that's why that person feels like they're compelled to stay. And if they feel like they're nothing without that person, or they're convinced that that person's doing nothing wrong, and then they're telling them that actually you're causing me harm. Now you're thinking all of a sudden, oh my God, like, am I the one that's in the wrong here? Am I the perpetrator and not the victim? When in fact, that's not the case at all. You've been listening to the Give Us a Smile podcast with Molly Cattrall. Massive thank you to Sarah and Johnny for joining me today and discussing toxic relationships and domestic abuse. This episode has highlighted how to recognise signs of an unhealthy relationship or how to support those experiencing this level of abuse. In next week's episode, we'll be looking into healthy relationships and sex education amongst the LGBT community. But that's all for today's episode. You can find all our other episodes on the All About Respect SoundCloud. Thanks again for listening. For anyone that's been affected by anything mentioned within this podcast, please access support from the All About Respect website at reportandsupport.yorksj.ac.uk.